time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. It is Monday, April 26, 2021. This podcast is created for you you mortgage professionals out there listening land, and it is for mortgage professionals, and we're just thrilled to have you here with us. See what? I'm doing a three-day fast, and I sometimes think there's some parts of my brain that are just not quite connected. So day three, and if there's anything, we're going to blame it on the fast, but we're just glad to have you here with us. Anyway, our commitment is to bring you timely information in a audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I listened to some podcasts over the weekend, and I'm finding out how important it is to have some energy when you talk. Because there's some interviewers that just do a horrible job. I go, please, shut them off. Go listen to something else. But we've got great topics and great content today. And I can't wait to share it all with you. Today in the Hot Topics segment, for those of you listening live, you're going to hear Dr. Michael Cummington is with FormFree. He is one of the nation's renowned individuals in artificial intelligence. He's going to be talking about how he incorporates artificial intelligence as a tool to drastically transform how loans are made. We pre-recorded this, but man, it was so interesting and definitely going to have him as a regular guest because I am fascinated with how we can responsibly use artificial intelligence in our business today. So what Brent and company are doing over there at FormFree, I'm pretty excited about it. We'll get some more insights into their approach through artificial intelligence. I also want to say a thank you to the Industry Syndicate. We're part of that organization. Check out industrysyndicate.com. Listen to all the great podcasts that are on that channel. Great place to go listen and discover some new podcasts related to our industry. Also, I want to say a thank you to the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. If you're listening to Rob here just a few minutes, give us an MBA report. Also, so Finastra, whose mortgage bot solution helps customize the decisioning parameters to help you streamline the approval process while keeping your lending team compliant. That's an important word with this administration anyway, and efficient. I want to say also, Lenders One, Justin Demolia, working on having him come on in the podcast. Talked to him last week. Some really exciting things going on at Lenders One. And also, the Mortgage Collaborative, Tom Gallucci. Talked to him a couple weeks ago. And again, just getting updated on all that's happening. We've had to go with both these organizations to virtual meetings, but there's some real in-person ones coming up and planned for this year. So check out both of these co-ops. It's a great place for you to get connected up close and personal with peers in the industry, as well as lenders and vendors getting together. I really support both of these. Number one, you should be members of the MBA, but check out one of these co-ops, Lenders One or Mortgage Collaborative. We belong to both of them. I think both are valuable, and I know others that do. Also, this Community Mortgage Lenders of America, great organization, working with independent mortgage bankers, and I love how they coordinate with the MBA. Also, Indicom offers automation, outsourcing, and compliance solutions for every stage of the mortgage life cycle. Looking forward to have Linda Bomar on as our guest next week in the Hot Topic segment. Had a chance to catch up with Linda this last week. I just love Linda Bomar. She is just an amazing bundle of energy and information, and they're doing 
doing some great things at Indicom. Also, Incelerate, where the leading edge technology and mortgage expertise come to life and pre-designed campaigns. They come together to help enhance the power experience. Go listen to the interview with Josh Friend that we did back on August 17th. Also, Knowledge Group, as well as Mobility, and well as Modex. All three of these companies do a great job of helping you both recruit and then train the recruits. I encourage you to check these all out on our sponsorship page, and thank you to all our sponsors. Finally, a special thank you to Alice, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. Welcome to the Hot Topic segment of the Lickin' and Lending Podcast. It is, again, Monday. Beautiful. Hard to believe. April 26th this week, and first quarter's gone. We're getting into another exciting quarter, and more and more we're seeing technology play a role in this. And we're very excited to have a senior research scientist, Dr. Michael Cummings, to join us. We're going to be learning from our guest today all that Form Free is doing in our industry to lead in lending technology. And there's so much. Pay attention and share this interview. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Folks, good to have you with us. We've got an exciting guest, Dr. Michael Covington. He's Senior Research Scientist at Form Free. You may recall call from our interview with Brent talking about Dr. Michael Covington, and I'm very excited to have him joining us on the microphone. Dr. Covington, good to have you here. It's good to be here. Well, I tell you, having a PhD doctor, especially in the fast emerging area of artificial intelligence, I'm just so excited. So we have a lot of questions we want to get to, and I'm excited to get started. But let's start off with this. You are a senior research scientist at the University of Georgia's Artificial Intelligence Center. That's interesting that they have a center on that. How did you get your relationship started with Warmfree and Brent? Well, back around 2010, I was associate director of the Institute for Artificial Intelligence, as it was called by that time, at the University of Georgia. That means I'm the person that industry people would contact, or I was supposed to contact them, to find jobs for our students and to work out collaborative projects with industry. And we got a call from Brent Chandler, who told me a little about what he was working on and his dream of measuring ability to pay and asked if we had anybody interested in that. The answer was, I'm interested in that myself. I'm not an economist, have little training in economics, though I've been studying on my own, scrambling for years. And since the 2008 recession, I had been curious about lending in America and what might have been going wrong. And I'd been noticing in particular that credit scores didn't seem to be doing the intended job. But I was just a private citizen with opinions. I didn't think there was any way I could ever be involved hands-on in making all this better. And Brent came along and offered me the opportunity. And at the time, I was a few years away from retirement. So as a faculty member, I was permitted to do private consulting, and I started doing that with FormFree. And that worked out well because they were a very small company then and didn't want to take on full-time employees. So an occasional consultant was just the right thing. And when I completed my 30 years service at the university, I retired and became a full-time consultant, first for several clients and increasingly for FormFree, which is now the only one left, now taking up all my attention. I should add, this may make you think I'm incredibly old. I finished my PhD before my 25th birthday. Wow. So there was time to have a full academic career and then launch a second career. And that's where I am right now. It amuses me very much that I've ended up in the credit industry, which I thought had nothing to do with anything I'd ever be in. My PhD was in linguistics. 
My original long-term interest was the relationship between sentence structure and meaning in human language. That quickly became a hot area with computers. I went into AI. And meanwhile, my mother was a manager at a credit bureau in Athens, Georgia. And she died just after I got out of graduate school, having no idea I would ever be in the credit industry. But she'd be tickled pink now. So if I can honor Hazel Roberts Covington, 1925 to 1985 uh, of Athens, Georgia, on Lickin' on Lending, she would be tickled pink. Well, that's good. We honor her. And I think we sit and look at the importance of our roots. And my mom was a senior vice president of a bank in Battle Lake, Minnesota when I grew up. And she was so proud of that. And it did influence the trajectory into finance and where I'm at today. What was the thing that really caught your attention about artificial intelligence? Because there's so much coming out about that. It's been around for a long, long time. But what was it about artificial intelligence specifically that captured your attention? Well, when I was in graduate school, the things I was interested in hadn't been invented yet. So I didn't waste time by not doing AI in graduate school. I got very interested in computers, especially when the microcomputer revolution made it easy for lots of us to get lots of computer power. And at the University of Georgia, when they hired me, they more or less told me that I was going to be in a new artificial intelligence group. So I figured I'd better figure out what that is and wound up specializing in logic programming, which is the use of mathematical logic to make decisions and in natural language processing. So for years, I was known as an advocate of the prologue programming language, which is a logical information handling language, not used so much anymore because general purpose programming languages have become more versatile and also an advocate of dependency parsing. Anybody listening who happens happens to have been trained in natural language processing, knows what that is, and the rest need not bother with technical details. It has to do with how you connect words together in the sentence to tell the difference between dog bites man and man bites dog, for instance. And in 1980, everybody said dependency parsing was bunk. In 2000, they said it might not be bunk. And I wrote one of the papers that's widely cited about how it might be done. And now everybody says it's the right way to go. Google and everybody else uses dependency parsing to analyze language. That sounds complicated, but when you start diving into it, it's really significant. And I want to learn so much about that. So we're going to have to have another conversation, but I'm really interested in diving into some of the things that you're specifically focusing on with FormFree, because when I hear Brent's vision, FormFree's vision, it is very exciting. And the whole concept of the passbook, which we want to get into here briefly. But FormFree is working to expand the financial inclusion, which is something I really like, by developing a better measure of consumers' ability to pay, which you talked about earlier. How has traditional credit scoring inadvertently excluded some of the creditworthy consumers out there that should be buying a home? Well, credit scoring is almost circular logically. It tries to predict credit bureau data from credit bureau data. But the big thing is credit score doesn't know enough about you. Now, credit score is better than what came before. Before there were credit scores, lenders could make decisions based on anything, even race, religion, pregnancy, and they would lend to people they liked the looks of, and that meant they kept lending to the same kind of people, and they just didn't know how to lend to anybody else, and that meant they were losing good customers. Credit scoring came along to comply with laws that lending decisions have to be blind to things like race and religion and ethnicity. Ethnicity, but the FICO score only knows about repayment history. So you can be very rich, and if you have not been borrowing money, you have a low 
credit score. On the other hand, you can be in really bad shape on the verge of bankruptcy. And if you're not missing payments yet, nobody knows and your score stays high and they keep lending you money and you keep getting deeper and deeper into the mess that you're in. There have been people who would be very good customers who are very rich and just can't get a loan because they haven't gotten loans before. And there are people who are right on the verge of bankruptcy, people who are doing very badly, who get too much money lent to them. We saw that in the 2008 recession. So I've sort of danced around the point. The real point here is what needs to be measured is ability to repay. And when Brent said that to me, it resonated immediately. It doesn't have anything to do with my prior AI work, but I learned how to do computer modeling of a lot of complicated things and figured I would dive into this. Regarding inclusiveness, here's a really important point. Including people of different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, and so forth isn't just right. It's also good business. A person shouldn't have to be as pale-skinned as me to get a loan. And if you don't lend to good customers, you are losing the opportunity to make money. If you lend to bad customers, to high-risk people without knowing they're high-risk, because you habitually like the look of that kind of people, you don't really know whether they can repay, then that's bad business too, because you are lending at a level of risk that you don't know you're lending at. Even the bad customers can be good customers, I think, if you match them up with some think that suits them, but you have to be able to figure out what that is. So talk about how you leverage AI, especially as it relates to foreign free, to expand financial inclusion. Tie that together for me. How does AI really play into this? Well, first of all, what is AI? I'm not going to baffle you with buzzwords. I could say machine learning, hidden layers, neural networks, TensorFlow, MapReduce, et cetera, et cetera, using a lot of words from the headlines. And it would sound impressive and it wouldn't be a description of what we're doing. We're doing computer modeling. A lot of it is rule-based AI. Some of it is machine learning-based AI. But a really important idea here is we want to know how the computer is judging people. Otherwise, it's going to be just like the naive lending officer of 50 years ago who likes the look of some people and not others. What we want to do is build human common sense into a computer service. And the story I like to tell, I call the village banker story. And I have heard another company telling the same story, but I'm fairly sure I started it. Imagine it's an idyllic small town 50 or 75 years ago, such as small towns weren't really like, but everybody wants to remember them that way. And you want to buy a house. So you go to your small town banker and he pulls down your accounts, which are in great big leather bound ledger and looks over them and thinks and gives wise advice about the condition of your finances and what sort of thing would and would not suit you, what kind of deal he's willing to make with you. We'd like to build that into a computer service. Nowadays, it's not just a couple of big leather-bound ledgers. It's a flood of data from many different financial institutions. And at the same time, we want to turn the way credit rating works around, turn it right side up. For decades, ever since I was little and my mother was working in a credit bureau, they've been saying, your credit is an asset. Well, let's make it work like one. This is Brent's big idea, the passport, which means now I'm not the expert on current products at Form Free. I'm in the research unit, but I can tell you the basics. You apply for a passport. That means you volunteer to have your finances analyzed. And the result is a report that you can ask Form Free to show to lenders. And lenders then decide whether they want to make you an offer. 
this could improve the market in many ways. It gives you ownership of your credit record. It gives lenders the opportunity. Maybe a lender you haven't even heard of is serving the kind of market you're in and wants to find you. Now they can. Greater market efficiency there. We think Brent's big idea is that an individual has a financial nature. He calls it financial DNA or financial condition. It can change over time, unlike your real Mm -hmm. DNA. In fact, looking at changes and understanding why they happen is going to be a big part of this. The point is, we want to make it easier for lenders to understand borrowers by having the computer distill the data down into something easy to handle. So when you're looking at the passport, take us a little bit deeper into how that looks. What are some of the hazards related to AI, especially as we're in this topic in this space? Well, most AI practice today, the type of AI that's really booming is largely machine learning, which means getting the machine to more or less blindly find patterns in data. And there are some hazards with using that as your only approach. Risk number one is the machine might learn things that are not true, that are just temporary patterns in small amounts of data. I call that artificial stupidity. I've seen examples of it. If you want to see examples, ask Google Translate to translate something into Latin and then check with somebody who really knows that language. For some reason, it just really garbles that one, even though it's Spanish and it's German and several others are fine. A second hazard, a worse hazard, is the machine learns things that are true but shouldn't be perpetuated. Ah. It can get into the same kind of circularity that an old-fashioned, racially prejudiced lender could. We like the look of certain people, and we keep liking the look of that kind of people, and we don't ever branch out and look at people that look different. Now, the machine can't see people's skin color or anything like that, but it can still see things about their spending habits that might lead to culturally different people being classified differently for no good reason. So our approach to that is we want to actually know what the machine is learning. We include human-crafted rule-based systems in the AI, not just machine learning, so that we know that it's not learning the wrong things or not using the wrong things if it does learn them. And the third hazard of AI is that people think computers never make mistakes mistakes, the machine says something, people give it too much credence. With AI, the output of the machine is often approximate or uncertain. And the answer there and a constant source of tension between the research group and the production group in FormFree is that our software knows how to say, I don't know. And it will very often say this borrower was not scored because, and then we'll have some reasons. There were unusually large transactions in such and such months, unusually large variation between months or something like that. In short, a human banker looking at this would have to ask more questions to see what's really happening. So you're not about drawing necessarily an absolute conclusion when you don't know, or there are circumstances that say we need to have a human looking at this, then it kicks it out in that form. That's excellent. Because I've actually heard where I do legal expert witness work is one of the consulting things I do and I've been involved in. And there was one case I was asked to opine in because I'm also a direct endorsed underwriter. So I have a strong underwriting background in my life. And they said, could you testify in this case? There's a class action forming against some artificial intelligence decisions and credit. And they were shocked to find that they were following a certain pattern of what they thought was discriminatory. And they were going to make sure that that got dealt with. Are you familiar with that? Heard about that? I haven't heard of the case, but I'm familiar with the problem. It's a case of learning something that's true, but shouldn't be perpetuated or shouldn't be used. And that's why I wanted to get into that. 
white people like me do have better credit ratings because they have always been given more credit because people thought they had better credit ratings and so forth. It's vicious and self-perpetuating. And somebody from a different background who's doing very well in business may not get as much credit. And we have to try to counteract that kind of mistake actively. Yeah, I, I love your approach because you form a construct of what you are comfortable doing. And then when it's not, then it gets kicked out for someone else to look at and decide. Can you give us a deeper look at how Passport can provide a more holistic financial picture of asset income and employment using a direct source bank and credit card transaction data? Yes. What we get from a borrower is typically the equivalent of a bunch of account statements. We get them in electronic form going back a certain number of months. And the first thing we do is figure out how many months we have. When I say we, I mean the computer for the most part. We classify transactions. We find the paychecks. We find the other types of income, regular and irregular. We classify the outgo. We find the groceries. We find the entertainment. We find the vacations. We find the automobile fuel. We find the car payments. We find the mortgage payment if we can. We find the rent payment if we can. We find regular outgo, whether it's identified or not. Rent, for instance, is hard to identify by name because so many landlords are names we've never heard of before. But we have huge dictionaries that are growing huger and huger by the moment as the rest of the research group works on them this very afternoon that tell us things like Kroger is a grocery store, Honda is an automobile, and so forth. We classify transactions and the classification is aided not only by the names, but also by some multidimensional modeling of the size, roundness, and regularity of the transaction. For instance, if you're paying $345.96 to Honda every month, that's probably a car payment. If you're paying $15 once and $36 two months later, that's probably car repairs or supplies or something. We don't just go by the name. Mortgage payments are monthly Things that are about that size but are not recurring monthly probably aren't mortgage payments and so forth. Okay, from there, we analyze the borrower's cash flow. We make a day-by-day time series of each of the accounts. By the way, if the borrower is making payments on a loan or a credit card and we don't have the account for it, we know that there's something we don't have. And that comes out as one of what I call remarks and the product are going to be called something else. One of the labeled flags that we can put on a borrower's report that this person is making payments to a loan that we don't know about, that we don't have the internals of. We only know the payments. We analyze cash flow. We do a time series, as I said, of every bank and credit card balance so we can see whether they're rising or falling. We calculate residual income each month. And because we know what the money is being spent on, we also can calculate what the residual income would be if the discretionary spending were reduced. And we have a behavioral economist working with us, Frank Terzuoli, who tells me how much people might be expected to reduce various kinds of spending. He also tells us many other useful things. Research is a team here, not just me. I should also name Frank Sunstedt and Dr. Lisa Lipani, who are working largely in supporting my development of this analytic software. Anyhow, we detect unusual months. We have an elaborate and proprietary algorithm for figuring out what's a normal month and whether we even know what a normal month is. 
Some people have a very regular routine, some don't. And the AI here is partly some machine learning and the statistical modeling, and partly it's rule-based, where we use an old but coming back approach called knowledge engineering. We take human knowledge, we ask real-life human underwriters what they think about things, how much weight they would give to something, whether something looks abnormal to them, whether a borrower looks good or bad, how they make their decisions, we put that kind of knowledge into the software. So the idea is human common sense built into software, not just blind machine learning, but human common sense. Fascinating. You started touching on the future, and I would love to get your thoughts on how you think AI will be applied to evaluating consumer creditworthiness in the future. You kind of alluded to it, bringing in the old machine learning, bringing in human logic into it, and bringing this all together. It sounds exciting. I think that some of the mistakes have been made as we get too reliant on AI and some of the formulas, and then we come to conclusions that'll get us in trouble. And I'm very fascinated with how you're bringing both the human logic into this and applying AI to it, or is it the other way around? Right. I think knowledge engineering and rule-based systems are going to make a resurgence because people need to know what their computers are thinking. Did we reject this borrower because of numbers in a matrix we can't see, or did we reject this borrower because the system thought there was too much variation between month and month? That sort of question. Simple machine learning is growing explosively right now, simply finding patterns in data so that instead of just piles of data, you have recognizable patterns, you can reproduce things. There is now a computer called the Raspberry Pi Pico that is powerful enough to do major machine learning algorithms, and it is the size of a big postage stamp and costs $4. So you're going to have machine learning in your wristwatch before long. It's really rather bulkily constructed. You can make it smaller than a postage stamp. They built it sort of big so we could get to all the parts. But that's not what FormFree is using. We are interested in working with rich data and rich human knowledge of how to understand the data and turn the human knowledge into rules to interpret things that the machine learning can extract. With machine learning, it's uh, all in the features, garbage in, garbage out. Well, garbage in, slightly edible stuff out, but groceries in, delicious food out to slightly change the metaphor. Another one is you can try to make lead into gold, but if you find some gold ore, you're much better off. So it's not as though humans know nothing about credit and economics. This is not unexplored territory. There has been a banking industry for thousands of years, and there's a lot of human knowledge out there that can be combined with things the machine can extract to make a much better result than either one could do by itself. And that's the direction I'm heading in. Well, I've got to ask with a PhD and having worked in research as much as you are and surrounded by other scientists and PhDs in this area, I got to ask you, what other interesting projects are you working on in the AI field that really have captured your attention that might have an impact on finance and especially as it relates to mortgage lending? Well, anything FirmFree has not announced is not announceable. So <laughs> okay. I can't tell you things that are not there to be told. I'm not working for anyone other than FirmFree now. My other AI work in the past has not been financial, but it has been fascinating. Go there. Okay. With my background in natural language processing, I worked for a long time with a defense contractor doing, I can't say quite what, but it had to do with propaganda and such communications from uh, world powers and trying to figure out who's spoiling for a fight, trying, in fact, to prevent wars. 
And my software has been used by the military in ways that they don't tell me about. I assume they had some success. I have also worked on measuring abnormalities in the speech of people with mental illness. Mm -hmm. So if you look in the medical literature about schizophrenia, you will find my name. And this is something where graduate students have been very helpful. There's a piece of software called SPIDER, C-P-I-D-R, Computerized Propositional Idea Density Rater, that measures something that has been shown to be an early sign of Alzheimer's disease. By early sign, I mean detectable 50 years before the onset of symptoms. Recognizing speech patterns is what you're... Yes, by recognizing low idea density in either speech or writing. It seems that if you like complex sentences earlier in life, you're not going to get Alzheimer's. This is a famous (laughs) study by Snowden and Kemper, JAMA 1996, and then we came along after it and built software to do related things. We don't know which is the cause and which is the effect. Yeah, that's fascinating. There's so much in this whole area that we could just go on and on about. I want to ask you about, especially with NLP natural language programming with what's going on with Google. We're seeing the emergence of the digital human. We're seeing that has been really advancing. I'm actually consulting to a company that is doing some work in that from the avatar part and combining that and bringing that to NLP. How is this going to look in the future? Are we going to be having really fluid conversations with avatars and the avatars that I'm seeing through this one particular company is doing such a good job. It almost fakes you out to think you're not interacting with a real human. And the conversation, if they could get the conversational part together, this could have a big impact on so many areas where machines are interacting with the human. Well, I am actually rather creeped out by the idea of making machines imitate human beings. I think machines are tools for human beings, and I'd refer you to the work of Joe Weizenbaum of MIT, who was sounding the alarm about this with his computer program, Eliza, back in the 1960s. He was half a century ahead of us. Machines are tools, and machines are not people, and the more you make a machine imitate a person, the more frustrating it can be if Mm -hmm. it's not quite perfect or if it's doing something you don't want it to do, and it can even do harm. I heard a fascinating talk by Barbara Gross about AI in toys and a doll that a child has conversations with. And do you really want your child growing up with a companion whose feelings cannot be hurt no matter what the child does? Is the child going to learn some behaviors that don't play out well in real life? I'm not so much into building dolls or building AIs that act like human beings. I'd rather build things that help human beings do intellectual tasks like talk about the village banker, I don't mean that we need a bespectacled avatar behind a desk with money bags and ledgers on it. I mean that we need something that will organize the knowledge in such a way that a banker or an economically literate consumer can understand what's there. Let tools be tools. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think it's helping putting uh, boundaries on our expectations as we're seeing more and more development in technology. And where should that go? I love the vision that Brent has, and now it's so fun to connect with the intelligence and what you're doing, specifically as it relates to the passport, because having a passport that me as a consumer can actually then turn on and share at my will versus having it out there in the world of all these databases and having it used inappropriately and really cause for some real issues. Love to get your thoughts on that contrast of the passport where the consumer's in control of it 
versus what's out there existing now. Well, that's Brent's big idea. That's his key invention, not mine. And he's better equipped than I am to tell you. But I think it definitely puts control in the right place and leads to market efficiency. Mm -hmm. You'll notice, despite the AI, we're not trying to make Passport act like a human being. It's a gadget. It's a token. It's a very useful gadget. It's called Passport because it's like a little booklet of information. I love the concept. And I, I love what you're doing and what Brent's doing, his vision. I think it's quite frankly, going to be game-changing. It's going to be one of those things that's going to put the control back in the hands of the consumer. And what I'm really excited about, and the reason I'm in this industry still after 47 years and 70 years old and plan to stay in it for a bunch more years, is because this is the type of technology and tools that are going to expand home ownership. And I look at what home ownership can do at the most foundational parts of a human being, what they can do for society. And I want to expand home ownership, but we also found out what expansion of home ownership in a reckless manner can do to families as well. It can be equally as destructive as it can be constructive if it's done within an intelligent way. I'm really excited, Dr. Covington, what you're doing, and I'm looking forward to learning more. We've got to have you back. You are just a wealth of information. Well, it would be fun. I'm honored to be here. Well, it's good to have you on the Lickin' on Lending podcast. We've had Dr. Michael Covington on here, who is the Senior Research Scientist at FormFree. And we're so glad to have had you here. Thank you, Dr. Covington. Thank you. Please share that interview around as that was, there's some nuggets in there that'll give you some insights. You wonder where the mortgage market's going. You wonder what we're going to be doing with credit. Is what is my job as an underwriter going to be automated? Well, I think you'll be encouraged to know the answer is no. We're bringing the companies like what Brent is doing and Dr. Covington is doing as the technology they're bringing is going to enable us to do much more, which should translate into those that are doing the functions should be able to make more money. So I see this as a positive thing. Hope you do too. Love your thoughts on it. Comment on the website. Go to Lickin' on Lending. Comment on it there. You can send me notes as we post out excerpts from this on LinkedIn. So appreciate your thoughts. I want to say thank you again for being a listener. Special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, Indicom, Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, as well as Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop. Thank you to our sponsors to make this all possible. Be sure to come back next week because we got Linda Bomar. I love Linda's energy and her intelligence. She and her husband, Stan, are dear friends, and I'm grateful to have them coming on the podcast. We're talking about automating the middle office mortgage operations. What does she mean by middle office? Come back next week, listen to the hot topic, and of course, you want to listen to all the other information we'll have for you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.